0: We're turning now to an epidemic that is taking three lives in this country every hour. The abuse of opioids.
1: Turn our focus
0: to mental health. Has been a significant rise in major depression. Anxiety is on the rise with so many people.
2: Clinical depression is a health condition that can affect anyone of any age, including children. Half of young adults, 18 to 25, had experienced either substance use or mental health disorder. Mental health among teenage girls is plummeting. 57% of girls reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless. Self-neglect leading to burnout. The rate of major depression has continued to increase. Nearly one out of every three American adults reported having symptoms of anxiety or depression. Increase of poor mental health.
1: You guys are in for a treat today. We are in week two of our mental health series. Last week we talked about burnout tonight. Today we're talking about anxiety, and uh, you are in for a treat with a special guest. Uh, He is the married and life pastor at Bayside Church in Granite Bay. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a writer. He is an extremely gifted communicator, and he's an amazing golfer. Will you please join me in welcoming Pastor Kevin Thompson to the stage? Shelter Coe. Thanks,
2: Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks so much. Always fun to be here at Shelter Cove. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Turn with me to First Peter chapter 5. Take out your sermon notes. In just a moment, we're going to look at a section of Scripture there. Uh, it's just an honor to be here. I hope you don't take for granted what God is doing here. By no means do you have a monopoly on the Spirit, and yet what's happening here is unique. And it's fun to be here to cheer you on, see what's happening. Last night, in the middle of a downpour and an NFC playoff game, this place was packed, and I don't, I don't know specifically how heaven works totally, but I think there should be a special crown uh, for those who show up on a Saturday night in the rain uh, during a football game. Now, they should be happy they were here because that field gold might have gone in had they, not, had they not have shown up. Uh, but I don't know if they get a special crown or not. And, and as a Cowboys fan, we have to focus on crowns. We ain't getting any rings. And so uh, it's amazing how, how packed my schedule is the next couple of weeks from all of my friends who are 49er fans. They're like, who can we call that's not busy over the next couple of Sundays as we're planning our schedule around football games? Oh, the Cowboys fan. They're always free. It's the off season for them. And so, but, but today Pastor Jeremy has asked me to speak on a very interesting topic and the topic is hope for anxiety. And that to me is an odd request, but I'm obedient. And so if you are hoping for anxiety, if you feel like you are missing out in the midst of this anxious generation and you've never experienced it for yourself and you're wondering, Kevin, can you please tell me how can I have this anxiety that everybody else is having? I can tell you how. Here's the prescription I would write for you if you're hoping for anxiety. Uh, the first thing that you need to do is, is, is forget your, your own humanity, specifically your need uh, for sleep, exercise, a- a- and good nutrition. And so I would exhaust you, I would soften you up, and then fill you with sugar. And then I would convince you that, that life is really found in the possession of material things. And I would put you on this ever en- never-ending pursuit to get the right thing, the greatest thing, even giving you a sense of satisfaction just a little bit whenever you buy something, but for that to quickly fade away, to convince you that you need something bigger and newer and, and, and flashier to some extent. And, and then I would, I would create a system in which you could get, live in constant comparison of who you look like in the mirror to the most airbrushed picture of all these other people living their absolute best lives to where you're continually comparing yourself uh, to who they actually are. And and then I would create some kind of system that could automatically notify you of any chaos that happened anywhere around the world at any moment and immediately push that to you. So just so that you know, we live in a dangerous and fright-filled, kind of scary uh, kind of world. And, And then I would isolate you even while you have the appearance of relationships i would have you living in isolation to where you really don't have somebody caring after your soul uh, because you're living at a pace that while unsustainable you're afraid if you ever back off or slow down you're going to miss out of life if i were to give you anxiety this is how i would have you live is it any wonder that we live in the most anxious generation ever we are living out the actual prescription for anxiety but you and I both know my task here today is not to give you anxiety. If that's what Pastor Jeremy wanted, he could have preached himself. <laughs> Instead, what we're gonna look at is how can we actually lower our anxiety? How can we understand it in a better way? And for that, we need 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's start reading in verse number six. Humble yourselves, therefore... Under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. This word anxiety, we're blessed to live in the day in which we live. There's the DSM 5. We can give you the actual scientific definition. Of what anxiety means. But back in biblical times, they didn't didn't have that kind of clarity. So so there's a group of words of of anxiety, of fear, of cares that that are intermingled in Scripture. But the basic concept is there is this internal kind of angst, whether seen or unseen by other people. We carry it. We possess it. We know it. This internal angst that's having a negative impact on our own personal lives, our own mental health, our relationships uh, with other people. And so whenever it comes to Anxiety. All of us experience anxiety some of the time. It's just part of the human condition, part of the human uh, nature. We can experience situations, circumstances that rightly create within us a a, a nervousness, an anxiousness, an angst uh, of some sort. And so, a diagnosis that can come your way, a a test that you don't know, the the global economy, uh, elections, and uh, children making questionable decisions, parents who are aging, our own bodies uh, that are changing. All of us can go through situations or circumstances in, in which we experience anxiety, and yet some of us experience anxiety all of the time. There's just some who, who, who maybe because of nature or, or, or nurture, they're just wired a, a little bit different, maybe because of training, and so if, if you have military experience, a, a first responder, law enforcement officer, you've actually been trained now, and a byproduct of that training can be this kind of internal angst at, at all times, this alertness of, of, of what is actually going on. And so while all of us experience it some of the time, some of us experience it all the time. And, and, and I kind of fall in this latter category. And, and so you have things like generalized anxiety disorder. You have a social anxiety disorder being around people. You have separation anxiety disorder being separated from those that maybe you love. You have certain kind of phobias of what is taking place. And, and then you just have being a pastor. That's, that's, what, I feel, that's what I feel my, my diagnosis would be would actually be about it. But I fall in this latter category of, of ever since I, I, I can remember, I, I've just always had this kind of internal nervousness to some extent. I, I think I told you the story last year, uh, but I can't remember, and if I can't remember, you probably can't either. Uh, but uh, I told the story that a friend of mine back in Arkansas, he called me one day and said, hey, do you wanna go to lunch? And and I said, yeah. He said, well, my wife is coming with us. Do you mind, mind joining us? I said, no, I'd be happy to. I felt like I'm in high school all over again, the third wheel in, in the midst of a, of a date. It'd be great. And so we're sitting there talking, and as we're talking, the wife looks at me at one point and goes, hey, you're not paying attention to me. And I went, yeah, you're not my wife. Like, like I'm not responsible for this at all. I haven't made any vows to you whatsoever. I, I, I'm just having lunch in this moment. I didn't actually say that. I thought it, but I didn't actually say it. She goes, what, what's going on? I said, "Well, well, there's an elderly lady just right behind you that's having a difficult time chewing up her food. And so even as you're talking, I'm wondering, is she going to choke and do I need to go save her life? And then she very insightfully asked this question, what else do you see? So what do you mean? We're, We're sitting in a small restaurant, maybe 10 tables that are occupied. She goes, what else do you see? Well, so right behind me, there's a boss kind of reaming out his young employee. But if you want to know the truth, as I hear the conversation, I really don't think it's the young employee's fault. Not that he's perfect by any means. I think the boss is just feeling general stress, and he has nowhere that he can take it out on, nowhere that he can express it. And this young employee is far better to be yelled at than his wife at home, because then that would be his ex-wife, would just add to the stress. If you look over in the back corner, there's a mom and like a four-year-old kid. And you can tell the kid just desperately wants his mom's attention. But she's stressed out. She's on her phone. She's trying to take care of something. So he is acting out, which ironically is actually now causing her to give him attention. But she's she's rewarding his bad behavior, which is going to write a a brain map now to him that the way I get my mom's attention is through bad decisions, which is not going to be very much fun whenever he's a teenager. And if you look up at the front, there's three guys who are eating, elderly guys. They're in here all the time. Normally there's four of them. But the last time, the fourth one didn't look very good. And now I'm wondering, is he in the hospital? Is he sick? Do I need to go check on him in, in, in some regard? And he knows this party over here, it's a work group that, that's celebrating a birthday or retirement or something. But knows the person at the end. For some reason, they're not in on the conversation. I wonder what it's like to be part of the group, but actually to be outside uh, of the group. And if you notice the waitress, the waitress is married to the owner of the restaurant, which by itself is a difficult relationship to actually have. Now, if you notice, she's not as playful, as jovial as she normally is, very kind, no question but I wonder if the weight of the restaurant is now bearing down on the weight of the relationship and I worry about their marriage and she goes why why are you sitting here eating barbecue thinking about all those things and I said I know no other way it's just how my brain kind of operates and and, and now, now notice this that that ability which creates anxiety also comes with with tremendous good. It's that ability to be aware that causes me to walk into a restaurant and, and generally speaking, uh, notice people that I know to where I'm not a rude pastor. Instead, I go over and, and I see what's going on. It's the, it's the ability that causes me on a Sunday morning to, to might recognize a face and, and, and a strain in a face that I normally don't see and to, to ask about it, to call out, to show compassion uh, to the person. It, it means that I'm, I'm good to have around, generally speaking, because why I'm, I'm loud here, I'm quiet in the rest of life and I'm observing And So if you're in danger, If there's something that's not going well, I can jump to activity where other people might miss it. It means at this very moment, I can look at your face to figure out have I made my point? Do I need to add more? Do I need to explain more? Do I need to entertain by adding a story in some way? Do you recognize the link of the sermon is primarily determined by the look you're giving me right now? So there's all this positive that now comes with with this negative. I I, I view it like a, a metal detector. And imagine if you're going to get a metal detector and go out onto the beach. You've got to figure out how to tune that detector. Because if you, if, you, if you don't tune it sensitive enough, you can miss treasures that are underneath. So it has to notify you. It has to be aware, alert. But if you tune it too sensitive, it's going to endlessly notify you and not be useful or helpful in any way whatsoever. And, and I think for a good number of us who live with anxiety all the time... It's like a two-headed coin, two-sided coin. There's a there's a very positive aspect and, and then there is this this kind of negative side of what's going on. And our goal now is is not to to, to turn off our anxiety. And so often we think in the in these grand polar opposite terms of this, as if anxiety is a light switch, and you and I need to learn how to go flip it off in, in this moment to where it will all go away. But in reality, I don't think that's the way it works. I think the question becomes, how can we dial it down? If, if you can operate at a seven and function pretty well, but your anxiety gets up to an eight and it becomes overwhelming, how can you dial that back down to a seven? What does that actually look like in this moment? First Peter, now, the apostle is writing to a church that's going through amazing persecution. So he's writing to a circumstance that he can't remove people from, but instead he wants to empower them in the midst of that suffering and and what is actually taking place. By the time we reach chapter 5, he he opens the chapter by talking to leaders, and, and he gives advice that all Christian leaders need to hear. He says, hey, don't use your position for your own financial gain or your own reputation. Instead, serve other people well. And then he starts talking about to to young people within the church. He he gives them a call to humility. And you can almost see how the preacher works. Even as he gives a specific admonition to a group of people, he recognizes that that there's a universal application to this. And so then we get to verse number six, in which he calls everybody now to, to humble yourselves. And it's in that context of humility that we then actually get the mention of anxiety. And there's a correlation there that I never would have seen apart from Scripture, but notice what's happening. In these, just in these two verses, there are three words that are kind of prominent here, two that are explicitly stated, one that's implied, and those are the words that humility, anxiety, and courage. And so Peter is now calling the church to humility, to humble themselves not only to each other, but actually calling them to humble themselves even to non-believers, to non-Christians, even to an evil empire. Humble yourselves That now even to this evil empire. And yet he knows that even as he calls them to that humility, that approach, that is naturally going to create anxiety within them. He doesn't guilt them or shame them for having that anxiety. Instead, he then implies, even as you feel that anxiety, now act in courage to still obey what God has called you to do and not just what you feel in the moment. Psychologists tell us that there are basically three, three needs that all humans have. That we have a need for agency, Uh, a need as an individual to have some control over our own lives and and yet even as we have a need for agency to control our own lives we also have a need for bonding to where we need to connect with others we are created now to live in the midst of community and so we we need agency by ourselves we need bonding with other people and, and then to make life work there needs to be some kind of predictability some some sense of certainty that that I need to know if generally speaking, if if I do A, B uh, then happens. If I save money, it will still be there in retirement. If I say I do, uh, I and my wife will be faithful to one another. We need some kind of predictability, some kind of certainty. So so we need agency, bonding, and certainty. The ABCs, agency, bonding, and certainty. And whenever we don't have one of those, a negative emotion tends to express itself. And so whenever we don't have agency, that tends to express itself as anger. It's why somebody can have a hidden addiction and nobody knows about the addiction, but everybody sees the anger. It's because the addiction is stripping that person from being able to control either their whole lives or one aspect of their lives. And whenever we begin to lose agency, anger begins to express itself, even if it's not the context in which that agency is being lost. Whenever we don't have bonding, connection with other people, that tends to express itself as sadness or also shame. We feel isolated. Something is different about us. So if your child comes home from school on, on Monday and, and you can tell they're sad or, or they look like they're shamed, chances are some relationship at school was, was fractured that day. Maybe a teacher they're close to said something that was a little bit cold or, or a classmate, they embarrassed themselves in front of a classmate in class or something happened on the playground. If you see the sadness, ask about the bonding. And when you and I do not have certainty, when there's not some kind of predictability about how things are going to go, the negative emotion that is then expressed is that of fear or anxiety. As Peter calls the church to submit... Not only to each other, but but ultimately even to, to non-believers, he recognizes I'm taking away some certainty about your life. because Let's face it, if you and I live out the Sermon on the Mount in this culture, the great question we have, if we're loving and forgiving and loving our enemies, the great question we have is, as we live that out, are people going to take advantage of us? Are we going to be used and, and abused? That's the question. We don't know how people are going to respond, and yet we're called to obey in that moment. So as Peter calls the church to humility, he recognizes they are rightly going to experience anxiety because they don't know, as I humble myself to these other people, are they going to treat me right? And yet Peter says, don't be shamed for experiencing that anxiety, but don't be ruled by it. Instead, have courage to still live out God's command. And that's the context in which anxiety is brought up in 1 Peter chapter 5. And then he gives them tools of how to deal with that anxiety. Notice. Notice he doesn't guilt them for having it. There's some in a Christian culture that can can think, well, if I just had enough faith, I would never be anxious in in any way. And if I have any anxiety, that's just a sign that I'm just not a strong enough believer. Well, maybe that's true. I don't know. But here's what I know. Peter is now writing to this church assuming they're going to experience anxiety. And and I think we can assume the same thing about us. And yet, whenever we experience it, we shouldn't guilt ourselves for it. Instead, we should begin to live out verse number 7, in which the text says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Notice what it doesn't say. Carry all of your anxiety inside of you because he's done enough for you already. Instead, it is cast. It's the same wording that's used in Luke chapter 19. Uh, Jesus sends a couple of disciples to, to, to fetch a colt that he's going to ride in to town on the triumphal entry. And, and whenever they get the animal, the text says they took off their coat and they cast it. On the animal. And Jesus would then write on that. And the picture is, they, they had it, they possessed it, it was on them and then they put it on something else. So when the text says, cast all your anxiety uh, upon him because he cares for you, what, what you were possessing, what you were carrying in this moment, take it and put it outside of yourselves now and hand it over to Jesus. I'm not a fisherman by any means, but even I know that a fishing pole and a lure and a hook were not designed to keep the hook at my feet. Instead, it's designed to to throw it way beyond me, and that is how the fish can be caught. Whenever we cast, we take something from ourselves, and we place it onto somebody else. That's what you and I are to do with our anxiety. Not to deny it, not to ignore it, not to be shamed over it, not to feel guilt about it, but instead to recognize it, and then cast it upon him. Well, what does that mean, to cast it upon him? Well, let's just use kind of our Holy Spirit imagination to take this word cast, C-A-S-T, and imagine what that might mean what it might look like to give things over to jesus so the very first idea is with the c you and i need to call it what it is we have to call it what it is psychologists have a phrase it's called name it to tame it and the idea is that the moment you name something in your life it actually begins to lose some of its power and control over you whenever you can identify here's what is actually going on it does it doesn't remove all of its power by any means but it begins to minimize it because w- without a name something doesn't have borders it doesn't have boundaries and so it, it can seem overwhelming in so many ways and yet whenever something has a name it's identifiable there it is that's what it is that's what i'm actually dealing with you and i need to be able to call anxiety what it is and yet so often we can walk around with it and not recognize it, not understand the signs or the symptoms within us, not see it within other people. I, I saw a meme a couple of weeks ago coming out of the Christmas break, and, and the meme is, is, a, is a little boy holding his stomach, and, and the mom's standing there, and, and the meme basically said this. The mom said, hey, you ate 45 donuts and drank 37 Cokes every day of Christmas break without your stomach ever hurting. Don't tell me it hurts now that you have to go back to school today. Okay, totally understandable, right? But here's the reality. If your child never has a stomachache in the summer and suddenly gets it the morning of school, that is not your child playing you. That is your child experiencing anxiety. And yet if you and I do not recognize that, we can actually end up shaming them for the very anxiety that is extremely Natural. And by living in denial of what it is, it actually makes it much larger. But the moment we can begin to name it, it becomes something a little bit more tamed in our life. A phrase I use all the time with myself is, that's anxiety talking. I'll hear thoughts in my head, and I'll just, that's anxiety talking. I don't use that with my kids. I definitely don't use that with my wife. I just use it with myself. Whenever I begin to hear things and think about things, I, just that's anxiety talking. And so I can, I can be walking, and I see somebody I know, and the conversation's just a little bit shorter than what I think it should be. And as I leave that person, my mind can begin to think, they don't like you very much. You've offended them. You've been a bad pastor in some way. And then I'll go, no, that's anxiety talking. It could be true, yeah, but in all likelihood, it's not. That's just, that's just anxiety talking. It's very natural before you speak, before you go somewhere, especially a, a place that you don't know, right? Your, your body begins to prepare in some way, and the, the feeling of excitement and the feeling of nervousness is actually the exact same feeling. And so I can, I can begin to begin to think to myself, well, well, I'm getting a little nervous here. Nope, nope, that's just anxiety talking. You're, you're going to be totally fine. I, I, can, I can literally stand on the eighth tee box, having hit every fairway so far, and begin to think myself without a bounce to the right, you know, you're kind of due to miss one to the right? I go, no, that's anxiety talking. Last, last weekend, as a Cowboys fan, thinking, all right, first round of the playoffs, right? I'm really nervous. I think we might actually lose, my, lose this game. And then I tell myself, no, that's the truth. That's just, that's just the truth. You and I need to get very skilled at naming what it is. To recognize it within ourselves, recognize it within others, and then to begin to say, all right, that is anxiety. And once we do that, we can then deal with that. But for as long as we are feeling it, experiencing it, and other people are doing the exact same thing, and we don't know what it is, it almost becomes unmanageable. How do we cast all our anxieties upon him? It begins by calling it what it is. And then A, C, A then we accept help. We ask for help. We accept help. Never has there been a time in which there have been so many resources available to assist us with anxiety and so once we name it we can then begin to figure out what do we need to do about that how can we get help and assistance and so if you're in a situation a situational anxiety maybe maybe what you need to get help is is maybe you call somebody to pray for you maybe you 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 tell a small group hey here's here's what i'm dealing with right now you don't try to solve it for each other but you just carry each other's burdens of what's going on but for others of us what it means to accept help might mean that that we need some counseling and we recognize we, we can't do this on our own. And so maybe in your marriage or individually, you want to open up your, your notes today and, and find some resources that are there and, and just go talk to somebody about it, a professional that can kind of see what's going on. Maybe for some of us, what it means is that we need to go get a physical with our doctor. And as, there were, as we're there, just tell him or tell her what's going on and she might prescribe medications and, and, and recognize. It is not a lack of faith to take medications that could dial your anxiety down just a little bit. You can take Zoloft and pray at the same time. That's possible. One of my, I talk about this in fearless families. One, one of my children was experiencing extreme anxiety, and their anxiety was turned so far up He had no chance whatsoever to lower that himself with the tools. What we had to do was to get his anxiety from a 10 or a 9 down to an 8. And once it got to an 8, then he could impose the tools and take it down to a 7 or a 6. But he had no chance on his own to get that anxiety from a 10 to an 8. He needed medical help, and you might need the same thing. And there's no shame in that whatsoever. What it means to accept help might mean to all of us to live out the spiritual disciplines. It's no accident that in a day in which Sabbath and and tithing have decreased, that anxiety has increased. And is it possible that God actually puts some practices, some rhythms in our lives to protect us from ourselves? And if you and I will engage in those rhythms that, that begin to decenter us, it's interesting. Even secular psychologists right now are beginning to say, one of, not the only, but one of the reasons for the rise in mental disorder in our age is humanity has centered itself in the spotlight, and we were never meant to live as the center of our own worlds. And the the brain begins to misfire as we're trying to be something that we're never meant to be. We were always meant to be supporting actors in which God is the main character. And yet when you and I center ourselves, we can experience and expect negative consequences. And yet God has given us rhythms to step out of the spotlight and get ourselves back in the right position. Accept the help. So call it what it is. Accept the help. And then, in that moment, what you and I need to do is submit to truth, not just feelings. Now, notice the wording on that very carefully, what I just said. Submit to truth, not just feelings. Notice what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that feelings are unimportant. I'm not, in this moment, saying we need to deny feelings, and all that matters is the truth. The reality is that emotions help us with the truth, that, that if, if you just take logic and you remove emotion from it, you actually have no way to prioritize the truthful statement. So, so if I gave you three generally truthful statements, it's Sunday morning at 10.51 a.m., you're hungry, and at the house you forgot to turn the stove off this morning with the gaslight. Those three statements, they are all equally true. One of them you need to act on right now. How do you know? How do you know if all you deal with is logic, how do you know which one? It is emotion that allows every single person in this room to understand which of those three things need to be acted on at this very moment. So this idea of logic and emotion are are separate things and they're at odds and and one is useful and one isn't, just isn't true whatsoever. We need emotion. Emotion is valuable to us. Emotion allows us to do uh, what is important and what is right. And yet what has happened in many ways, if we're not very careful, is inside the church we can elevate logic at the expense of emotion. Outside the church in this culture we have now elevated emotion at the expense of logic. And so in our culture, the only thing that really matters is how do you feel. Well, that's all that matters. Forget any truth whatsoever. You can call something whatever you want to be called, just, well, that's how I feel in this moment. Well, that's foolishness. At the same time, in the church, if we're not very careful, we can so minimize and downplay emotion. So think about this. If you ever hypothetically tell your wife to calm down, You know which one of you actually isn't handling emotions right at that moment? It's you. (laughs) Telling somebody else to calm down is generally a sign that I am overwhelmed by your emotion. And because I can't handle it, I need you to change. Even though in the moment we think we're the logical ones and they're the irrational ones. But we have to find a way to wed these two things together in a proper way to, to understand it now in a, in a meaningful kind of way. emotions matter i talk about this in, in fearless families here's one thing we experienced though as we were dealing with a child with high anxiety and then it, it revealed my own anxiety our whole house became ruled by fear and every decision we made as a parent became as the byproduct of fear until one day, my wife recognized what we were doing and she said, Kevin, we got to stop. We got to feel fear, but we got to parent out of love. However they feel about it, we got to parent in this way. We got to act this way in our own lives. And, and, and what happens so often is we hand the, the car keys of our lives over to fear, and fear is a horrible driver. Instead, you have to give the keys to your life to the way of love. Now, imagine if you have a child who's afraid of, of, of swimming, they're afraid of water. There's three general ways you can parent that situation. Some would say, okay, you're afraid of water. Emotion is primary. I'm never going to take you around water. We're not going to go swimming. We're not going to go to the beach. I'm going to keep you away from the lakes and, and from the rivers. We're not going to go chasing waterfalls. We're not going to do anything like this. Not often you get a TLC quote in shirts. This is, <laughs> this is highbrow stuff we got going on right now. And so literally, you can think to yourselves, baptism weekends next weekend, we're skipping, we're going to watch online, I'm going to save you from water. And if you do that for the rest of your life, the child will be afraid of water. And then there are others who ignore emotion, just elevate truth, and they're like, oh, you're afraid of water? There. (laughs) And and they, they they just force immersion and throw you in that moment. And if you do that for the rest of your life, your child will be afraid of you. but a good parent weds truth and emotion together. Oh, you're afraid of water? I get that. That can be dangerous. We gotta to learn to respect it and treat it right. At the same time, it can be a lot of fun. Hey, would you take my hand and let's just walk toward it and whenever you get nervous, squeeze my hand so I can know what you're feeling. And then we go and squeeze my hand. All right, let's take a step back. Let's, let's go closer. And, and we step back until finally we get to the edge. And then the, then the question becomes, hey, hey what if we, we stick our hands in? hey, what if I sit down and put my feet in while you stand here? What if I sit down and put my feet in, and you sit down beside me and put your feet in? Uh, What if I get in the water while you sit on the side? Uh, What if I get afloat and I put you on top of the water and I hold on to the raft? Uh, What if I put you on top of the water and then I let go? Of the raft. Uh, What if you stand in the water with me and we hold hands? What if you stand in the water with me and and we let go of hands? What if you stand in the water and I now sit on on the side? What if you stand in the water and I now stand on the side? Uh, What if you stand in the water and I go inside for a little bit? And if you'll approach it in that way, chances are not only will your child in all likelihood overcome their fear of water, but then from that moment on, any fear they face from that moment on, not only will they have the tools to confront it, know how to confront it, they'll also have the support in the community to do it with. You recognize that's what this community, that's what Modesto needs from this church. You see, there are some who elevate emotion. And so if you have a friend who doesn't know Jesus, you see, because the reason a lot of people don't come to Jesus, there's various reasons, but one of the reasons is they're afraid. They're afraid of what it's going to cost them, what it's going to demand of them. What does that even mean? I don't even understand it. And so they're afraid of that. And if you elevate emotion and you have a friend who's nervous about Jesus, you'll sense that. And if you elevate emotion over truth, you'll never bring Jesus up. You'll downplay your own faith. You won't talk about what God is doing in your life. And literally, you will keep the peace, the pseudo peace, even as you are sending them to hell. But at the same time, there are some who, who diminish emotion and just elevate truth. And go, oh, you're afraid of Jesus? Let me take my Bible and beat you into submission. And and what Modesto needs is for Shelter Cove to be the friend who neither elevates truth or emotion, but instead weds them together and comes alongside of people who are afraid and say, okay, let me grab your hand and let's begin to walk toward Jesus. And if I take you a little bit too far, I'm going to back off, but then we're going to keep on going until eventually, hopefully, you make the decision on your own to love him. That's what Modesto needs from Shelter Cove. But to do that, we have to submit to truth, not just emotions. So how do we cast all our anxieties on Jesus? We call it what it is. We accept help. We submit to truth, not just emotions. And then finally, we trust God with the outcomes. We trust him. Now now I notice, and I recognize, if if you don't know Jesus, the, the idea of trusting a higher power with your life is in and of itself anxiety ridden. One of the last times I was here, I talked about that little book, Stay in Your Lane, of remember that idea of what's mine, what's theirs, what's God's. Control what's mine, influence what's theirs, accept what's God's, right? The, know the CIA, the CIA knows you, right? Anxiety so often is me not controlling what I do control, my diet, my exercise, my inputs, all those things, and attempting to control what's theirs and what's God's, what I can't control. And one of the ways I dial down my anxiety from a seven to a six is to come back and say, okay, Kevin, what is yours? Control that. What belongs to them? Influence that. Ultimately, what belongs to God? Just accept it. And and trust him with the outcome. Now, why can we do that? Well, the text already tells you. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Cast all your anxieties upon him. Because he cares for you. You and I have a God who has proven his care and concern and compassion to us to such an extent that we can now take the most vulnerable parts of who we are and hand it over to him because we know that he is going to handle it in a right way. It's the whole story from Genesis to Revelation. We were created at an overflow of God's love. It was his compassion that even caused the creation, as evidenced by the fact that when our first parents re- uh, rebelled, God didn't just wash his hands of it and go, oh, let's start again, or I don't. I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Instead, he, he, he reveals to them a plan that he had long put in place to send his son Jesus story of the nation of Israel that God chose them uh, to show his compassion to them. And even though they rebelled and walked away and were fickle in so many ways, God was steadfast and faithful at every moment, always there uh, to welcome them back. It's the story of Jesus coming in the form uh, of a baby now in humility now, uh, being able to where we can approach him and understand who he is. We see the compassionate eyes uh, of Jesus as, as he saw the leprous man that everybody else uh, began to overlook. He, he listened to the bleeding woman that everybody else had began to drown out. He welcomed the little children uh, unto himself. It's Jesus in compassion who even hung from the cross in that moment. Wasn't even thinking about himself, but it said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To look at his own mother and to care for her, even in the midst of his dying words. This is a compassionate God that now has proven to us time and time again that he sees you, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's asking you to speak to him. He wants to hear the concerns of your own heart with the promise that his Holy Spirit is going to be at work within you to take care of whatever situation or circumstance you are with. I understand the nervousness of handing over your life, of handing over outcomes, of entrust, just submitting to somebody else. I understand that. But God has proven himself worthy of your own heart and he will treat your heart better than you will treat your own heart. So you can trust him. So you can trust him. So whatever situation or circumstance you're in right now, you can ask the question, God, what is mine? Let me control that and then open hands begin to say okay god the rest of this belongs to you and so for some when it comes to anxiety that's all you have to do and it will go away but for others those are the steps that you and i need to take but it's probably not going to fully go away in part because it's just the other side of a coin of some of the strengths that you already have but i think also in part I can only speak for myself, not you. I think in part, God in his grace allows me to have anxiety because it forces me to depend upon him. Because if I never felt it, if it just magically went away and I never felt it, I might begin to think to myself, oh, look at how good I am. I can do away with my own anxiety. And I would completely depend and lean on myself. But my guess is until I see him face-to-face, there will always be a little bit of internal angst. And that number will always be just a little bit higher than what maybe is best to detect the opportunities and the threats that are there. And because that's a little bit higher, I have to, on a daily basis, cast all my anxieties upon him. And it reminds me that he cares for me. Would you bow your heads in prayer? There's some in this room who that sounds appealing, but you can't do that. Because you don't know him and maybe you've heard about faith you've seen it you've been around but maybe this just kind of explained a little bit of your life today whether you're in this room watching in the overflow room watching online if this just kind of made sense there's a reason for that scripture knows what it's talking about and if this made sense i wonder how much more of the god story makes sense And maybe today is the day that you finally trust him completely. And you can do so right where you are. In the same way, within your own words, how I did May 5th, 1988, on my bed as a little boy. You can just pray, God, I need you. I don't know everything that it means, but I trust you. And I want to surrender my life to you. If you will do that today, we just pray that you would let us know in some way. Take the connection card, go out to the foyer, come forward during this closing song. Whatever it is, just let somebody know so we can begin to assist you to look at it. What does it mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and all the potential that has has been in it. Now use this response time to have us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, respond however you would choose in each of our individual lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
1: We appreciate Kevin and the powerful message he shared with us today. You know, right right now in our service, I want to invite our, our decision team to come forward. And here's, here's how we're going to respond. Um, I just want to invite you, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never admitted the fact that you are a sinner and you need a Savior, today is your day to give your life to Jesus now you can do that upstairs in the loft or teams up there you can do that online by sending a message but this is the single greatest decision any human being could ever make is to say I'm a sinner I can't save myself and that's why Jesus came to die in my place for my sin to rise from the grave three days later, proving victory over sin and death so that you can be right with God. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand right now and we're gonna sing and as we sing, if that's you, I wanna encourage you to do what people have done at our other services this weekend. Come forward, our prayer team will take you by the hand and we'll go to the prayer room and we will help you, we will encourage you as you make the greatest decision of your life.
0: just gone through the motions, I'm sorry, when I just sing another song, take me back. forgot that you're enough. Take me back to. still time to come forward this morning if you're out in this room right now and you're feeling that time on your heart and you haven't made a move I would encourage you right now be brave step out in faith today if you need to declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior over your life come forward right now there's still time to tell him that there's nothing else that you would rather have in your life this morning please come down this morning
1: Heavenly Father, God, that's our prayer today. We just want Jesus. And so would you lead us and guide us and encourage us as we leave this place to be lights in the midst of a dark world, to give us hope when we're hurting. And God, uh, just use us in any way you desire. We love you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray, amen and amen one more time can we appreciate jesus and what he's doing here